This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Ashley Willens is a former actress and now an assistant professor at Harvard Business School. She studies how people navigate trade-offs between time and money and whether intangible incentives such as experiential and time-saving rewards affect employee motivation and well-being. In 2015 and 2018, she was named a rising star of behavioral science by the International Behavioral Exchange and the Behavioral Science and Policy Association. In 2016, she co-founded the Department of Behavioral Science in the Policy, Innovation, and Engagement Division of the British Columbia Public Service. Her research has been published in numerous academic journals and in a wonderful piece in the Harvard Business Review called Time for Happiness. Good read. In this episode, we discuss time poverty, the subjective feeling of not having enough time to do the things we want or have to do, whether or not we objectively have enough time. We talk about the benefits of prioritizing time over money, as well as ways to overcome the psychological barriers that keep us from choosing to buy time-saving services that can reduce stress and bring greater happiness. Ashley talks about using what she calls happiness dollars to help us deliberately calculate how we spend our time and not just how we spend our actual money. And she details ways to avoid time confetti, the feeling that we're doing too many things at once as we're pulled in too many directions. At a time when too many of us have the increasing sense that there are 24-7 demands on us that we simply can't meet, Ashley's large-scale longitudinal research and field studies offer some answers for how we can reduce time stress and increase happiness by buying time, savoring time, and being more deliberate about the time that we do seem to fritter away. So now, give us your undivided attention and get set to listen to and learn from Ashley Willens. Ashley Willens, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you so much for having me this evening. Well, it's, it's great to have you here. So how did you first become interested in the trade-off between, between time and money? Was this something that was always intriguing to you, or did, did it somehow become more, more of an issue, more salient for you as, as, a, as an adult? Yeah, so I, I became fascinated. First, I get asked this question, um, and I really came at it from a purely academic, nerdy academic perspective when I first started addressing this topic. There was a lot of research on how the focus on time and just thinking about time can 
lead us to be more social and pro-social, whereas a focus on money can, can do the opposite, make us less likely to help others, more likely to focus on work. Mm-hmm. And I simply wanted to know, well, these trade-offs, there certainly must be people who kind of generally prioritize time or generally prioritize money. Right. And so these trade-offs might be particularly important as well. Um, and then as I started to delve further and further into the academic literature on how we come to our value our time relative to our money, I've noticed uh, that all of these trade-offs have become increasingly central in my own life. Um, and so I'm not sure which came first. Uh, I think, well, I, I know that the research interest came first, but now I see my research everywhere. So let's first uh, start with what time poverty actually is. How, how do you define what that concept means in in terms that people will understand? Yeah, so I'm a social psychologist by training, so I'm often thinking about how we construe or think about some of the fundamental resources in our life, time or money. So the way that I define time poverty um, isn't isn't my definition, but rather one that's very prevalent in the literature, which is the feeling of not having enough time to do all the things that we want to do or have to do. So time poverty is the feeling of being pulled in so many directions that we're unable to accomplish all of the things that we both love and have to do in our everyday life. So it's a subjective sense. Yes, it's a subjective feeling. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, what we find is that even, so we've been looking at the trade-offs that people make between time and money for many years and have surveyed tens and thousands, hundreds of thousands of individuals living all over the world, which I think we'll probably talk about in a little bit more detail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we find regardless of how much time people actually have, the feeling of time stress can have really negative consequences for happiness and the overall stress that one experiences in one's life, regardless of the objective amount of time that people have Mm -hmm. available. Um, So these feelings of time stress kind of independently predict how much uh, we happiness and joy we get out of our everyday lives, Um, even for people who like being busy, feeling overwhelmed by our everyday demands can come at a cost to happiness. So if someone observed kind of objectively whether or not you were able to do the things that matter to you, uh, it would look different than how you yourself would experience it in many cases? In other words... Mm-hmm. Go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So I think one study that illustrates this quite nicely is that, you know, we took a group of, of um, working adults living in Canada, and we assigned them to spend two payments of $40. Um, people like being in our studies. <laughs> On uh, one weekend, we asked uh, these working adults to spend $40 on a material purchase for themselves. And on another weekend, we asked them to spend $40 in any way that could save them time. And even though we gave this money to these busy working adults on the weekend, a day when presumably we have lots of control over how we spend our time and more leisure than we do during the week, Mm -hmm. we found that these time-saving purchases significantly reduced these working adults' feelings of time stress and in turn significantly promoted end-of-day happiness. End of day happiness. End of day happiness, that's a quick rating at the end of the day. How are you feeling? Exactly. We called them at the end of the day and said, how happy are you feeling right now? And people who made a time-saving purchase on a weekend day, either a Saturday or Sunday, felt 
less pressed for time and, and happier. They just felt more positive mood at the end of that day than people had made a material purchase for themselves. Okay, so but can you give me an example of a time-saving yeah. purpose so people understand like what that yeah, so, looks like? Yeah, so a time-saving purchase, we, we let our participants define it for themselves. We wanted, it, mm-hmm. we wanted them to pick something that um, they thought would give them the most time and maybe potentially the most happiness, although we didn't quite frame it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so a time-saving purchase could be fast food, takeout, could be a grocery delivery service. We had one participant in one of our um, uh, studies hire the neighborhood boy to, she called it this way, she called it the neighborhood boy um, to okay. run errands on her behalf. Uh, so this neighbor's kid went to the mall for her so she didn't have to because she really wasn't looking forward to it on the weekend. So those are some examples of a time-saving purchase. Okay. And on, and on the material purchase side of things, just because this was our comparison, People bought things for themselves, uh, clothes, mm-hmm. uh, okay, you know, board games, things like that. Mm. Um, That's a tricky one because that involves other people. Yeah, it, but we, they weren't actually consuming the experience during the right. time of our study. Okay, um, but but so we think that they, you know, they just bought mostly they bought material goods for themselves, All right. things so, for their home. So people who made who made purchases of. Uh, time-saving activities, experiences, were happier at the end of the day. Yeah, because they felt less time-stressed. But the point I want to make actually circles back to your first question, is that this was true regardless of how much time the time-saving purchase saved. So again, as I mentioned, Hmm. people made all kinds of different purchases. One one woman was able to buy herself out of a whole day of shopping by pay, paying the neighbor's kids, so she saved way okay. more time than someone who got takeout. But an eight but hours an eight hour savings and a four hour savings same impact on time stress. Um, so it's mostly like regardless of how much time you saved objectively, mm. the extent to which the time saving purchase reduced your feeling of time stress and made you happier. So really, the point I'm emphasizing is mm-hmm. that how we feel about how much time we have seems to matter more for happiness than objectively how much time we have available within reason among, you know, fully, right. fully employed adults in this sample. Um, and that's even true for time-saving services. So if we buy something that makes us feel more in control of our time, that this is going to produce greater gains in happiness than potentially something that's saving us more objective time. So time poverty is really this feeling of being able to do all the things I want to do and have to do. And we see it being much more important for happiness than how much time objectively you're spending, um, either at work or um, on different chores. Wow. So the intentional sense of um, consciously and deliberately choosing to, uh, to trade money for time, time for money, it must be uh, very important in determining... Uh, the degree to which people feel time stress. Yes. Um, So we do see this deliberate choice. So people who go about their everyday lives budgeting money every month to spend money on time-saving purchases, any purchase that saves people time, you know, online tax filing, house cleaning, grocery delivery, all these examples we've previously talked about. Yes. People who go about their everyday lives thinking about making time-saving purchases feel significantly less stressed for time, and they experience greater overall life satisfaction as a result. Hmm. And what we find in our studies 
is that people who make time-saving purchases in their everyday lives, when something stressful comes up, so say you have to work longer hours or a work trip comes up or you're navigating the stressful demands of you know, navigating work and life and something gets a little more stressful than it does usually, people who make time-saving purchases are less negatively impacted by that stress. Hmm, they're, so they're more doing things, they're, they're spending money in ways that protect them from some of these additional demands that can come up in everyday life. Do they feel and a greater a result, sense of control? Is that why? Yeah. So we, as a result, they experience greater happiness and less relationship conflict. Mm-hmm. And it is because, in part, uh, people who make time-saving purchases do feel more in control. Uh, we also just see direct effects on stress and happiness. All right, so let, making these deliberate purchases mm-hmm. to save ourselves time make us feel more in control of our time, which in turn has all of these downstream benefits for stress, well-being, relationship satisfaction. What are some of the uh, implications of what you've been researching in terms of what people should do to reduce time stress? I think we should all think a little bit harder about whether there's any opportunity in our lives to have more time or more enjoyable time. Um, Anytime that we're making a purchase, we have to think to ourselves, is the way that I'm going to be spending this next $40, that's the amount that we found significant benefits from making time-saving purchases in our study. So anywhere Hmm. as little as $40, all the way up to, you know, larger amounts of money that we're going to spend on other kinds of purchases that won't save us time, a new counter, some, something nice for our home. Mm-hmm. We should be asking ourselves whether we can spend that money in a way that might save ourselves time. And as I've outlined in previous research, there's many barriers that get in the way. Uh, it seems really straightforward on the surface. Sure, we should all spend a little less time working and have, you know, have more free time and enjoy that free time. Mm-hmm. Um, more when we have it. But actually getting there, actually making these decisions and trade-offs is really challenging when we get to the moment of a decision. What's the hard so part? Actually, what is it that makes, actually, that, yeah, what makes it difficult? I don't actually want to um, get that laundry service because I feel so guilty. I don't want others to know that I can't keep up with the demands of work and life, especially in North American work culture mm, where the expectation we're both is to be yeah, the expectation is really high. We're expected mm. to both be a perfect employee or we have these expectations for ourselves that we want to be both a perfect parent, a perfect partner, and also a perfect employee. And we feel guilty when we have to ask for more help, ask for more time, even if we're paying money to do that. Guilty to hire someone to help us. Guilty or, or guilty. a kind of failure. Right, I'm not living up to the ideal. Yeah, I mean, we find we find strong, significant um, effects for guilt. But when we take these findings into our workplace context, we do feel that people feel incompetent. So when they have to ask for more time, even if the deadline is adjustable, and the manager comes out and says it's fine if you ask for more time, we're we're reluctant because we feel like it makes us look like we're incompetent, unmotivated. And if anything, we do better work, we feel less stressed and we're happier. Um, and so it has positive benefits, but there are these psychological barriers. And how do you, what have you learned from, get in the way. what have you learned from your studies that, that informs like what people can do to overcome the sense of guilt or incompetence 
uh, at at making time saving purchases uh, that holds them back from 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 spending their money to create time. Yeah. So a couple of barriers that we found, or a couple of levers rather, that we found that help mm-hmm. people overcome these barriers is by focusing on what you're going to do with that free time. Focus on the meaning that you're going to get out of the free time that you're going to save yourself, as opposed to thinking about the financial transaction, which feels like a loss. Try Mm -hmm. to put yourself in a game frame. Try to think about the positive benefits, not only for yourself, but also for others, your friends, your family, your coworkers, who are going to be getting a better version of yourself Mm -hmm. if you're not so stressed, so weighed down by all of these other demands. That's one way that we've found can help encourage people um, to make time-saving purchases when they, when they wouldn't otherwise consider it. Another effective strategy is actually getting people to go through, people who are more economically minded, to go through the calculations of thinking about how much happiness it's going to gain them uh, outsourcing a disliked chore and not being so stressed in terms of happiness dollars. So one thing that we've been Happiness recently, dollars. <laughs> yes. Wait, is that like a Bitcoin? Do, what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, basically. Well, what, what we do is we say we know how much a relative income increase, um, you know, we know that, uh, we know what that does for our people's happiness. So what about these time choices? We also know generally valuing time over money has a certain effect on happiness. Buying time has a certain effect on happiness. Given that we've collected so much data over so many years, we have a pretty good sense of how how happy people get from spending more time socializing with a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put a financial dollar value or outsourcing just like chore. And we put a financial dollar value on the happiness benefits. And then we walk people through, well, it might cost you over the course of a year um, – Ten thousand dollars to get someone to clean your house once a month or something. Okay, depending on how big of your big that's your house some is. really high quality cleaning you're getting done yeah, there, Ashley. So if you outsource all of your chores, okay. it depends where you live. Okay, you know, let's just give some high putting aside the amount. Sorry, I couldn't yeah. help that. Um, um, so you know, ten thousand for we know, yes. We know that that we have some sense that the happiness uh, that you're going to get out of it is worth about you know. Twenty thousand dollars, let's just say, in happy and dollars. People, yeah, in in the relative benefit that you would get if you made hmm. if you made uh, that much more money, right? And so you're saying, okay, so you have this cost, which is okay, maybe not ten thousand dollars, whatever, eight thousand um, dollars, and then we know that the relative happiness benefit that you're going to get in terms of a relative income increase is going to be twenty thousand um, dollars, and so you should still choose to outsource your chores because it's going to pay off more for happiness than a relative income increase of, you know, wow. amount. And so, that helps people at least think it through in more detail than they would have mm-hmm. otherwise. Because one key barrier to these tra- these time and money trade-offs yeah. is that we spend a lot of our time in life obsessed with money. We think about it all the time. We're thinking about when are we going to get our next promotion. We're saving for financial goals. And we're very, very cautious with how we spend our money, or most of us are at least. And we're very, very, we're very um, spontaneous when it comes to time. It's, time is very abstract. We always think we're going to have more of it in the future. Mm-hmm. And we don't carefully plan we're frivolous or even large windfalls of time. Frivolous about it, you're, you're saying. We are frivolous about our time. All right. So anything we can do to put... Um, you know, to start accounting for our time and the way that we account yeah. for our money 
can help us make better decisions about how we spend our time on a, across our days, weeks, months, years, and ultimately our lives. And, I mean, this is something we know from people who accomplish great things in the world. They, they are very conscious and deliberate uh, about their choices, about where and with whom they spend their time, and they're, they're thinking about the, the impact. I mean, th- which is not to say that one should live without spontaneity. You're not proposing that, Ashley. Mm-mm. What is the difference there between having a kind of more disciplined sense of time use uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the the importance of engaging in creative activity or spontaneous, uh, you know, connections uh, to people and things that mm-hmm. bring you joy? Yeah, I think we even need reminders around being spontaneous and seeking out social connection. Um, so in one, one study that we ran, we found that people who generally prioritize money over time, or you could think of this as prioritizing efficiency over, you know, kind of general social connection, they were significantly less likely to capitalize on a social experience. So they spent 18% less time socializing with a new peer in the lab. So people with just a stated preference, hmm. we didn't remind them of the stated preference prior to coming into the lab simple stated preference that they usually prioritize money more than they prioritize time, we're less likely to capitalize on a seemingly spontaneous social interaction um, in in the lab. And, you know, we know that social interactions are so important for wealth, Mm. uh, happiness, um, and well-being. So what's the implication Um, of that finding? Yeah, so the implication, I think, is that especially maybe if we're more efficiency-minded, that we should be having you know, reminders in our everyday lives to spend our time in ways that we care about that we might not prioritize if we're thinking about money in the bottom line. So one thing that I started advocating Mm -hmm. for is that we often are left with small windfalls of time in between meetings or on our way to work. And maybe we have a list in our back pocket of things that we want to do if we had five minutes, 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes, things that we want to savor just as reminders of spending our time, not necessarily always being able to get more of it, but at least spending it in more quality ways when we do find ourselves with these small windfalls of time. Mm -hmm. So one thing I've started doing is I have a list, not of the things that I'm going to get done in a day. I have those lists. (laughs) I don't need to write more of those lists. I'm very acutely aware of the productivity demands that I need to, to Mm -hmm. reach in my current job. But instead I have a list, of other things I'm trying to prioritize, fitness, meaningful time with my partner, uh, making sure I reach out and uh, maintain social connections with people who I don't live in the same city with. And I try to... You should have got on the plane. (laughs) That's not always the answer. (laughs) I know, I know. I send small, simple... So I have a, 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 a list of small, simple ways that I can spend time. Um, and it and I try to not make it the hardest thing. So I have mm-hmm. data suggesting we overestimate how much social time we're going to need to form a meaningful bond or have a meaningful connection. And that would de- or, that would deter your interest in actually spending any energy exactly, on it, right? Exactly, especially if you're feeling pressed for time. So mm-hmm. instead I do things like, instead of even saying things like, call my mom. I say, send a text message to my mom so that I know that she knows that I'm thinking of her. If I have five minutes, um, you know, don't 
don't schedule a, a coffee date with a friend in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm always trying to build in now ways of getting to these broader goals like social connection, going to the gym, planning my next vacation with the small moments in my everyday life that might otherwise go wasted. Um, and I think that's one strategy that you can be thinking about time in a really small way to mm-hmm. at least start in on the process of yes. focusing more on time and less on work. Ashley, one of the things that you, you mentioned was the impact on relationships, mm-hmm. which is a, a central theme of our show, um, how to um, enrich them uh, and, and, and ensure that you, know, you have a... a a powerful and supportive web of people surrounding you that you know give your life meaning, um, and and that and to whom you provide support and love. What have you learned about um, relationships, not just at work but in other parts of life, from your research on time and the reduction of time stress? Yeah, so um, this is a major theme that comes up in my data over and over and over again, that people who prioritize having more free time at the expense of of having more money have more fulfilling social relationships. They spend more time volunteering. um, They can socially connect more with friends and family. Um, and that's part of the reason why people who value time over money report greater happiness in my studies. I've also mm. found um, in my data that people who make time-saving purchases, so people who have a, a cleaner or get groceries delivered or occasionally get takeout or, um, uh, you know, do any, have their laundry clean for them if they're having a busy week at work, that people who make time-saving purchases also tend to have better social relationships. Hmm. So what I found in, in one of my studies, so we analyzed a large-scale data set with over 30,000 working Americans, yeah. and we found that when people made time-saving purchases on the weekend, they spent more time socializing with their friends and family, which makes some obvious sense. If you're not home cleaning, um, you have more leisure time available at your discretion. Mm-hmm. But probably more interestingly is that we found that people who made these time-saving purchases on the weekend also enjoyed the time that they spent with their friends and family more, mm-hmm. in part because they feel less conflicted less by distracted. what they have to do mm. and what they want to do. Mm. And this reduction in goal conflict makes us feel less pressed for time and happier, so we're able to be in the moment and savor the time that we're spending with our social connections. That's so important. Uh, and it doesn't seem all that complicated, except you're, you know, notwithstanding what you were saying a few minutes back about how hard it is to think um, about the 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 impact of the way that you're using time and, and whether you know you ought to go through the process of you know exchanging uh, American dollars for happiness dollars. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's it is a real challenge that we face, and I think there's you know we talked about guilt and this feeling of not living up to expectation if we're not able to 
you know, keep up with the demands in our home and also at work, being a couple of factors. Um, it's also because we, we're poor planners with our future time. Mm. A lot of these time-saving services require some upfront costs. And so, you know, we don't want to invest in a little bit of time costs now and the financial costs to incur time saving in the future mm. because we always think we're going to be able to get more time. Why do we, we think like that? Money, um, well, the future <laughs> time, we just, we think that we're going to, it's a little bit of the planning fallacy. We think we're going to have more free time in the future than we do in the current moment. Um, I think if you want to make any good decision, even if it doesn't involve finances, you should look at your calendar today mm. and ask yourself, would this time-saving service be good today? Would I really benefit from that? Would I feel less stressed? Would I be able to have more meaningful time uh, to cultivate um, relationships with my spouse or with my children? And if the answer is yes, then you could probably guess that you would also benefit from that time-saving purchase a week in the future. Mm-hmm. And similarly, you know, we can we should also be thinking about saying no more often. Uh-huh. Um, um, and that takes a similar approach. We also we often feel bad about saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, we think we're going to have more time in the future. We want to capitalize on opportunities. But if you can't say yes to something or rather you don't want to say yes to something yeah. today, you should think about the fact that you're probably also not going to have time or want to say yes to that event or, or work related um, thing or hobby, whatever it is in the future. So we're just not very good at using our current feelings um, to plan into our, our busyness, to plan into the future and guess that we're going to be equally as busy in the future. And maybe that's a bit adaptive. I think we all are experiencing really high levels of time stress. Yes. And maybe we want to feel like maybe we're going to get some relief in the future. There's also some data showing that people who feel really busy are more likely to do because it, it's one way of us gaining control over our time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So people who feel really busy are better at checking off their to-do list than mm-hmm, people who feel mm-hmm. less busy. And that might be part of this sort of vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. All of us are feeling quite pressed for time. So when an opportunity comes our way or an email comes into our inbox, we want to check it off our to-do list. So we answer that email or we, mm-hmm. you know, say yes to something that maybe we shouldn't without thinking it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And that's part of this kind of trap of time poverty is that we want to feel in control of our schedule. And sometimes that might lead us to say yes or act on things immediately when we really we should be taking a step back and asking ourselves. And that's the hard part. Really, this is the, the best path forward. Right. To, to, to step back and, and reflect. I mean, who has time to do that? <laughs> um, but that is the, the, the stepping back and observing and then making sense of your, of your choices. Uh, that is the hard part. So one reason that we're all feeling increasingly pressed for time, in addition to having many demands, parenting, commuting, working, education, uh, training opportunities, is that we often also experience this feeling of time confetti. And we experience this more now than we did in previous decades. So time confetti is the feeling of when you're doing a task because we're constantly connected to our phones and constantly connected to the internet. We are not only doing the one task at hand, studying for exam, commuting, taking our kids to their next lesson, we're also on the phone. 
checking our email, in our inbox, texting a friend. And this time confetti leads us to experience even higher feelings of time stress than we would otherwise. And it goes back to something I said a few moments ago, because we feel pulled in many directions. We feel like we can't just do the task at hand. We're always, you know, five steps ahead of ourselves um, or getting pulled from enjoying the time that we might otherwise spend having breakfast with our kids to the work email that we need to get to first thing in the office when we get in. And these experiences of a goal conflict, Jordan Etkin at Duke has some papers on this, make us feel more pressed for time. So even in the absence of being able to change anything about your schedule, any taking take out any demands of your schedule, or be able to outsource anything given other financial constraints you're considering, one thing that we can all do and all should do is try to be less subject to this time confetti. So take control of our time. Do one activity at a time. Put our phones away during um, an activity where we're just trying to enjoy uh, some quality time with our kids. Mm-hmm. These are all kinds of ways, putting our phone away, savoring a meal. So my collaborator and I have data showing that when we savor as opposed to try to maximize the deliciousness of whatever meals that we're having, just simply taking the time to savor can have a profound impact on happiness. So I think the two key takeaways are trying to, it's, it's like being present in the moment, trying to reduce the amount of time confetti in our lives where we're physically doing one thing, but our minds are mentally pulled to somewhere else, either because our phones are out or, you know, we're getting alerts or that kind of thing. And then also, too, to build in more deliberate time in our day to savor, to savor those social events, mm-hmm. to think of things as an opportunity for social connection as opposed to a chore. I think all of these kinds of more psychological tactics um, can be helpful for all of us to reduce our time stress mm-hmm. with, in the absence of being able to change anything about the activities that we are engaging in on a daily basis or the amount of money that we have. Uh, one of the things that you write about is how making decisions together with your partner about the uh, choices of time and money uh, has has an has an effect, if I understand it correctly, as a benefit for uh, for the relationship. Can you say more about that? Do I have that right? Yeah, you do. So we have a recent research project where we wanted to examine how time saving purchases. So the kinds of things we've been talking about, getting a house cleaner, grocery delivery, um, affect relationship satisfaction. And we find really convincing evidence across, you know, nine or 10 studies with, you know, thousands and thousands of working adults in committed romantic relationships that couples who deliberately every month budget some of their money to make time-saving purchases experience greater overall relationship satisfaction, in part because these time-saving purchases are a form of social support that these couples purchase through the market economy. And these purchases protect them from the negative impact of work-life stress on their relationship. So we recently got data What back do you mean from, by that? Can you explain more what that yeah, looks like? Yeah, so um, you know, if me and my partner are both going through a really stressful time at work, I'm working a lot of hours, my partner has a tight work deadline, this means that we're more likely to experience conflict both between each other and also just this felt conflict of 
wow, my work is really impeding on my, on my, Mm -hmm. um, personal life right now. And that can, that can cause us stress and and feelings of time stress. And so couples who make time saving purchases together are less likely to be negatively impacted by relationship conflicts. So when they get really busy at work, they're less likely to fight Mm -hmm. about it. Um, and they're less likely to feel that their work is negatively impacting Mm -hmm how they feel about their personal relationships, which can also have positive implications for relationship satisfaction. So in one study that we just ran, we had 80 um, uh, individuals in committed romantic relationships living together with their partner, and we tracked them over eight weeks. And what we found is that overall, couples who make time-saving purchases together in a typical month experience Mm -hmm. greater relationship satisfaction. Mm as we had previously shown. But the most interesting part is that the happiest couples were making time-saving purchases in a way that was responsive to the stress that they were experiencing in their everyday lives. So if they were having okay. more controllable stressors, mm-hmm. so working more hours, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, the happiest couples then solved that controllable stress by making time-saving purchases, which then reduced their feelings of time stress and improve their relationship satisfaction over time. So, so it seems that being responsive in our everyday lives mm-hmm. to stress and being able to have open communication with our partners about whether we should hire a cleaner this week because we're both really busy at work, those couples were doing the best in mm-hmm. our data in terms of overall relationship happiness. Now, what about people who are living closer to the just making it through the week you know, economic line? And, and mm-hmm. don't have slack, you know, financial resources to invest in time saving. Uh, what, how does how does this line of thinking and and this research speak to those who are who are really strapped for financial yeah. resources? I think I think you mentioned this at the top of of our of, of our conversation, and it's really the crux, I think, of of this idea, irregardless of whether it implicates our finances is that we need to be really deliberate, more deliberate about how we spend our time. So in the absence of being able to change anything about how we spend our money, we can. We also have data showing that couples who do their chores together, who block off time to work on house chores together are happier and less stressed. Um, and then couples who... We know this not only from our own data, but lots of other data. Couples who, who spend quality time together are less stressed. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is data in uh, my own and others showing that people who are financially, um, you know, just getting by also experience greater levels of time stress um, because maybe they commute further to work. Um, maybe they're working longer hours or multiple jobs, which again can make us feel like we're being pulled in just so many directions on an everyday basis. Less authority Um, and control over their time as well. Yes, I think that's a really key point for people who are, you know, kind of making ends meet, but just barely. They also have less less control over their time. Typically they might work jobs where they have to come in on a moment's notice. Their jobs might be more precarious. Um, which can contribute to these t- this time stress. So mm-hmm. I would say it's especially important for, for individuals who, you know, they're just at the very beginning of their career, they're, you know, um, or and or they're, you know, um, just kind of living at, at or above um, making ends meet, mm-hmm. that it's particularly important to carve out time in which you can spend with friends and family 
where you turn your phone off, where you're being very deliberate about your free time, mm-hmm. um, and then try to reach out and ask for help from others. The one thing so that important. we found in some of our data um, is that, yeah, you don't need to, you know, that people time trade all the time. You don't need to pay someone to clean your house. Maybe you say, maybe you reach out to a friend or a neighbor and say, I'm having a really stressful week. Would you mind um, taking care of my kid or running to the grocery store for mm-hmm. this um, and run this errand on my behalf? I'd really appreciate it. Um, and this is how really traditional really- villages survived right exactly um, so um, to be able to reach out more for for help um, you know we only have a couple minutes left here Ashley yeah, sure. the number sure. of people who are who are calling and we're not going to be able yeah. to get to all their questions um, but I have to bring us uh, bring us home here uh, let me ask you um, your in 30 seconds or less what is your birth your best personal practice for valuing time over money I pay more money in rent than I wish I did to live walking distance to work. Wow. So I save myself commute time every day, and then I think very deliberately about how I spend that time I've saved myself. Hmm. Okay, so you are conscious and deliberate about how you're using that extra time, and that, that helps you get over the, the, uh, the guilt or the pain that you might feel at having to pay exorbitant rents in Cambridge, Massachusetts, <laughs> exactly. or wherever you are living. Uh, so um, here's a question I've been asking everyone, and again, it's going to have to be a quick response, but it's one that I'm really interested in your point of view on. Uh, I'm thinking of this year as the year of accountability in our world. What, if anything, do you do to hold yourself accountable for living and working in accord with your core values? I get other people to hold me accountable. So I, one thing I'm doing, I'm trying to prioritize my fitness. I have someone that I train with that knows me by name and makes me feel guilty when I don't come. So I don't rely on my own self-control. I outsource mm-hmm. my self-control to others around being deliberate about spending my time in ways that I'm trying to uh, spend to promote my own happiness. So what's in it for that other person to help you? What motivates him or her? Uh, I think their motivation um, is... uh, is that I all, we kind of mutually hold ourselves ah, accountable. Okay. So so there's mutual some benefit. Accountability. Mutual. Uh, there's some reciprocity in that in that exchange of accountability uh, and support. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> there's there's lots more I'm curious about and I'm sure uh, listeners are as well. Ashley, how would uh, people find out more about your work and its implications for how we invest our time and money? So you Yes, you probably noticed I have no shortage of things to say on this topic. Um, and I wrote a long feature for HBR recently called yes. Time Poverty and Unhappiness. So if you're interested in learning more about my work, a lot of it is covered there. I also have a faculty website um, through the Harvard Business School. And reach out to me. Uh, let me know your thoughts and feelings. I'm currently also writing a book on happier time. And I love to talk with people about um, their own personal um, challenges and opportunities with removing time poverty in their own lives. So reach out, and um, I'm sure I'll get back to you, and we can have a conversation. Fantastic. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm glad you made it, um, and uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ashley Willens, and that it provoked your thinking 
about how you might budget or plan your time just as you budget or plan for how you spend money. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. What chores can you let go? Can you trade with a friend or neighbor? Can you pay someone to do this chore for you if it really has to get done? Or perhaps barter services with others that result in your having more time for the things that give you real pleasure and that are important to you. If you implement such a plan, what happens? Do you feel differently, more relaxed, less stressed, happier? Does it have any impact on important relationships in your life at work or at home or among your friends? Intentional change to produce more valued time. You can do this. And I'd love to hear from you if you try. So email me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, go to workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, visit totalleadership.org and check out my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, your family, and your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.